And now for the major announcement. Da, 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 da. Oh, Marcus, for years, listeners have been urging with us, pleading with us, begging us to run Wellness and Couch events in their own hometown and not just in Melbourne. Well, get ready, folks, because in 2018, there's not one, not two, but three major events coming your way. The Wellness Base Camp is our brand new one-day event featuring your favourite Wellness Couch podcasters in your very own home state. In 2018, we are coming to Brisbane, Adelaide and Kiama, just south of Sydney, for one inspirational day of health and wellness. Oh, incredible lineups to MP. We've got the Up for Chatters, we've got Joe Witten, we've got Fuad, we've got Kale Brock, Audra Starkey, the incredible Marcus Pierce, Brett Hill, and so many more. Now, seats are strictly limited to these events. The Wellness Base Camp is not a big Wellness Summit 1,000 people job, so do not muck around. No, you've got to get in quick, MP. The early bird two-for-one tickets are now available. Best Christmas present ever. To book your tickets and for all the information, head to thewellnessbasecamp.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up For A Chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, she's, she's not there. <laughs> oh. We think, listeners, we actually think she's asleep. <laughs> <laughs> We've been trying to track and trace her for so long and she's gone AWOL and not one of us knows, not even her team, no one knows where she is. So the fact that she's flown in, she could have been taken up by aliens or she could oh. hopefully be asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, poor thing. She's just been on a plane for the last, no doubt, 24 hours. And I went into the office there today to pick up a few bits and pieces and the girl said, yeah, no, 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 she just arrived in last night. Yeah. So you can imagine she'd just be a shot duck and dead asleep. So, Well, it's just us two, darling, and we have come back from New Zealand. We've had the best time. Um, It's so nice to hear your voice. I've missed you. I've missed you. (laughs) You know, this week, I keep keep thinking about what you and I could talk about this week, and and I've always thought and wanted to know the true Mm. meaning and the true um, underlying fundamental values of what veganism is actually about. And I just think I would really love to go deep with you on this one and what it actually looks like if you could explain to everybody so that people that aren't vegans could have a better perspective because it's very easy to judge, isn't it? It's very easy to judge on the outside that it's a certain thing or a certain way or some people have a certain perspective of what it is. And you would be one of the most... Um, beautiful, open, and very respectful of all types of beliefs and values person that I know. And I hope you don't mind, my darling Karen, but I would love to talk to you about this because I think it's a very untapped, unknown, and certainly not discussed. It's almost up there with vaccination on some in some people's beliefs. So would you mind if we talked about veganism this week? Well, button chops, I think that sounds bloody exciting. <laughs> I knew you would. We've got the experts. So, so, so I want to know, first up, my darling girl, you have not always been a vegan. Perhaps you could talk us through about what your life was like and then what brought you into that process and then what, what was the turning point for you to then turn around and say, I'm vegan? Okay. Well, it's actually a pretty simple story. There's not a great deal to it. Um, When I was uh, around the age of 17, so that would have been 1997, um, there was a big movement called the Fit for Life diet, and it was all about food combinations. And back then, um, they were talking about, um, you know, don't eat meat with or protein with carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to have a carbohydrate, make sure that you're having it with vegetables and leafy greens and so on and make sure that your proteins are with vegetables and leafy greens. So everything went with leafy greens and the whole concept was that um, milk coming from cows is actually meant for calves, not for humans. 
and they say, I remember in the book, and I'll never forget it in the book, they said you wouldn't drink your dog's milk if your dog was lactating to feed her puppies and you wouldn't drink a pig's milk um, if they were lactating to feed the piglets, but yet we go ahead and we drink a cow's milk. So they kind of were drawing the parallel of that. Then they also really broke down the nutrients inside of a cow and the colostrum and so on and how that um, supports the baby calf. But for human consumption, there was a whole, um, you know, scientific study about that. And I always felt curious about it. But I was always the person who was drinking 600 mils of milk straight out of the glass bottle from a kid. Um, And so it never really occurred to me. But then it was about the age of 19 and 20 that um, I was so tired, like desperately tired. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have to choose on a Saturday morning between either washing my car or cleaning my shower because I was living by myself. And once I'd done one of those um, activities, I was done for at least 24 hours. And then I I went into a relationship with a fellow who I just adored and I was about 22, 23 when I finally finished all of the tests to find out what was wrong with me. None of the doctors could come up with anything. I'd had had glandular fever, but none of them could come up with anything. So that's when they diagnosed me with chronic fatigue syndrome. And... Um, I got to the point where I was so focused on my career because I've always been fairly ambitious. So I was doing maybe 15 hours a day on my career and I thought nobody with chronic fatigue could do 15 hours a day at work. So that just didn't wash with me back then. But as far as my ability to do anything other than that, there was no way I couldn't do anything other than just work. And I had a desk job, so it wasn't really that draining on me physically. So it was around that age that I decided that, well, I didn't decide, I just got so tired, I couldn't stand cooking long meals and chickens and beefs and things, and I was living by myself. So I um, decided, well, I started cooking vegetables, and really I'd come home, throw vegetables in the microwave, and that would be my dinner, and that would be my lunch and, you know, all that sort of jazz. So over time, I lost the taste for meat. Um, and then I lost the taste for eggs in the most dramatic way. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just replaced meat back then. I replaced meat with bread and pasta and rice because it was quicker to cook. But what I didn't realize was that I was very quickly becoming – accustomed to not having that flavor of meat and flesh in my mouth. Now, I didn't realize that I was actually turning vegan at this, at that time. It was probably about three or four years later that somebody said, oh, look, why don't you have a steak? And I thought, oh, well, I suppose I could. And I tried it and all I could taste was blood and I couldn't do it because the taste of it, I'd lost it. I'd lost that association. And As time went on, of course, I got fatter and fatter because I was eating a lot more bread, a lot more rice and a lot more pasta, not really being a very educated vegan. And then by the time I was about 36, I was training for marathons and I was running potentially maybe two to two and a half hours a day um, over the morning and the afternoon. And I was getting fitter and stronger, but I was also starting to find that I was becoming anemic. So the trainers that I had had said that I should start eating meat again. So I thought, okay, I'll give it a try. But again, um, it was a real effort. And by that time, you know, I've always been a massive lover of animals. So by that time, it was not only just about not enjoying the flavor of meat, but also it was very much about the animals. And dairy was the furthest thing from my consideration because of what I know happens in the dairy industry. And... Um, so I, but, you know, I still did it. I still went back to eating meat and dairy and cheese and all that sort of stuff. And I just went from 36 to 42 and, uh, age 36 to 42, gaining more and more weight, even though I was very fit. Um, but I just, what was happening is I was eating the meat. Uh, I was eating death in my mind. Because I'd look at my pets and I'd look at the animals and I'd just think, bloody hell, 
I've survived all this time, albeit very fat, but I've survived all this time without having to have an animal killed so that I can enjoy. I can't even say enjoy because I don't enjoy it. But so that I can have a steak. I'm sorry, there's got to be a better way. And at the age of 42, it was my birthday. I went, enough. I'm done. I'm not listening to anybody else because I've tried every diet on the face of the planet. And I thought, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm going to listen to myself. And I thought, well, I'm not going to label myself either. I'm just going to do whatever I decide and I'll do it for 30 days. And if I decide to extend it, I will. And that was 1st of February. To yeah. a number of years ago. Can I ask you, can I just backtrack a little bit there? One yeah. of the things that you said um, was a thing or a condition, and I'm assuming it's an autoimmune condition, chronic fatigue syndrome. Can you just, um, I mean, that sounds like it was a bit of a catalyst in a time in your life where it made you start to look. Can you just explain what chronic fatigue syndrome is or your understanding of it and how that impacted on you so much? Yeah, well, back then, um, chronic fatigue syndrome wasn't an actual diagnosis. Um, it's just simply a default diagnosis when the doctors don't know what else to diagnose you with. Mm. So the sensation in the body is just a desperate sense of tiredness, just a desperate sense of exhaustion, um, foggy brain, devastatingly tired and it's when I say devastatingly it's only because those were the words that I remember I used to describe it to my mum it was just absolutely finished there was not a not a breath left with that wouldn't take more effort and I wasn't anemic back then um, the glandular fever obviously stays in your body for seven years but to have that much of an effect um they just they just couldn't pinpoint it. I had every blood test. I had every MRI. I went through naturopaths, tested for candida, tested for gut health back then, um, tested for um, all sorts of parasites in my system. I was cleared of everything. It was literally about three and a half, four years that I was just a human pincushion. And there was nothing that was showing up as an, as, um, an issue. So... It's possible that my mental and psychological condition back then may have been compromised. I mean, I was working like an absolute Trojan, but I loved it. Um, and, yeah, there were some emotional issues with boyfriends and partners and husbands and things back in those days too. And this is pre-Bali, isn't it? This is pre-Bali. Yeah, this is pre-Bali. Pre-Bali, for sure. So, and so from a perspective of, a, like, looking back now, if you could sit there and look back now and you saw a woman in the same place, same position, kind of treating herself in the same way, what then with all of those pinpricks and all the tests and everything you did, what, what darling, would have been something you could have changed with what you know now? Is it the veganism that gave you a catalyst to change and have a look at all ways of eating? Like, what? how did, how did you get through that? Well, I'll be honest, Kimmy, I, because I didn't have the energy to cook the meat for myself and then I lost the taste for the dairy and the eggs, because of that, my energy levels went through the roof. So what I found was that while I was eating meat, I was depleted of energy. When I didn't eat meat, I had energy to burn. So everything that the doctors are di well the chronic fatigue syndrome that the doctors are diagnosed me with, when I when I changed the diet and it happened quite organically, it didn't actually happen purposefully, but when I changed the diet, all of a sudden my energy started to increase, and that's when I looked at it and I thought, where is where am I getting this energy from? Why do I feel so much better? And it's because I changed my diet. And do you it's think I wasn't eating the meat anymore? Do you think I, I know what you were talking about with the Fit for Life back in the in the nineties? And I actually um, totally that they, they would eat fruit till lunchtime, wasn't it? Yeah. Very very yeah. light foods. I remember yeah. it very very well. And a lot of people thrived on that diet. Do you mm. think then, as and and I can appreciate you can be as broad as possible with this, but do you think then some people, in your opinion, are more prone or more um, apt to eating meats than others? Or do you think that we should all not eat meat? What's your view on that one? Well, it depends on which day you get me. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> yeah. 
Look, I think everybody needs to make an educated and an informed decision based on their own personal well-being. I looked at the Fit for Life and was eating Fit for Life which and cut out the meat, and that gave me back my energy. So um, I think if I was to say nobody should eat meat, then that's the animal lover in me that says we can do this better as a planet. And when we look at the impact on the environment, when we look at the impact on our crops and how much of our crop space is taken up by feeding cows corn, which is not even their natural diet, and I look at the disgusting treatment of the custodians of this planet, mm. um, I find myself appalled at humanity. And sometimes I find it very difficult to um, love people when I see what humanity is capable of to animals that are, they're actually not defenseless, but they choose not to retaliate. And such beauty can be our greatest teachers. So when I look at us as humans and I see we rape each other, we murder each other, we brutalize each other, we abuse each other, we do the same things to ourselves. While ever we're doing that to each other, it's only natural that we're going to, and to ourselves, it's only natural that we're going to do that to those that we consider to be under our dominion. Um, but, you know, as far as diet is concerned, you know, I think everybody's got to look into it for themselves. I, I looked at the, the blood type diet, which was my next step, and I'm an O blood type. So the O blood type is supposed to have lots of meat, lots of offal, you know, all sorts of bone broths and things like that. That's right. um, That's according to the, the blood diet that you're talking about. What's his name? Yeah. Peter Diamo or whatever his name Diamo. is. Diamo. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So according to that, I'm supposed to, you know, be full on meat. But as soon as – and even when I went back to training and I was training for the marathons and I um, was eating the meat, I can say hand on heart, I was not – I was not stronger, I was not fitter, I was not better when I was eating the meat. There's just no way. And even just recently, I was talking to somebody about, you know, my diet and because I'm starting to put on a bit more weight now that I'm perimenopausal. And they're saying, okay, well, the least thing you've got to do is eat salmon. So a couple of times I've had fish and a couple of times I've had salmon and I've thought, okay, if I just try and do this a couple of times here and there, then I should notice the difference. So I gave myself a month, uh, six months, a uh, six weeks, sorry, of eating salmon once a week, and I felt no better for it. And even when we were in New Zealand, Kimmy, I had some fish a couple of times, but it made no difference to me. So, and do you think that therefore it is an instant feeling that you have? Is is that what you're gauging it on? I mean, we know that bones can take up to six months to replenish, blood cells twenty eight days. We know that. The body to regenerate or to take on any sort of new um, behavior or a new diet or anything it does take time to adapt but are you looking for instant signals are you for when you're changing and adapting so I do there's two so the first answer to that is um, yes and no so in in the yes part is because I am very sensitive um, I do feel if something just doesn't agree with me within about two hours I can tell mm. I didn't get a disagreement in my body with the fish, none whatsoever. So that it wasn't not good for me. Mm. But over the six weeks, I expected to see some kind of change in my symptoms or some kind of sensation in terms of energy or clarity of mind or ease in the gut. After the six-week period, I expected to see even just the tiniest little bit of encouragement to continue with it. And there was nothing. There wasn't anything. Interesting, isn't it? Because I know myself, even when I do a detox, like the first couple of days I feel worse before I feel better. And, and we know that, that that's the body's way of eliminating and things. But usually on the fourth and fifth day, or if you're doing a protocol like the HCG, or if you're doing some sort of weight loss, usually within that week, sometimes two weeks for some people, the fog lifts and you feel better. So, mm. uh, you know, do you, uh, here's another question for you, being the mind expert. Do you think then, because you've spoken very strongly 
around your beliefs around the way animals are treated and the way humanity actually behaves full stop, which I'm very much in agreement with you on on so, so many levels. Do you think the mindset that we have around that also contributes to your repulsiveness to meat? Is it, it's yeah. an ethical, moral thing which is now so embedded in you that seems to be really playing a part too, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. There's just, there's no doubt about it. I said this to Cindy when we were in New Zealand because, you know, we were talking about my weight gain and all of that sort of stuff. And I said to her, you know, I said, it may be fine for me. It may be okay for me to eat it. But to me, when I sit down to a plate of animal, um, if I feel yeah. like I'm eating a plate of death and I'm, you know, my, my mind turns it into pure poison because of what I know that animal has gone through. And, you know, I, I make comments like this on Facebook sometimes or sometimes there are some really graphic videos that get shared onto my page or, you know, there are some times when I might share something to raise awareness and, you know, I'll get a barrage of private messages and a barrage of messages on the page and on the thread about, you know, how the dairy industry is humane, some parts of it. And then, you know, there are some slaughterhouses or some, you know, um, places that uh, look after the, the slaughtering of their own cows on site, you know, how humane that is. And it's all, it's you know, it, it's all well and good. But for the most part... The, the way that our animals are treated, whether it's in life or in death, it really is abhorrent. Mm. And it doesn't take much research to actually see what we're doing. And when I see that and then I look at my plate with vegetables and animal on it, it just I can't I can't not think of that. It can't not I can't just, I can't pretend that's not happening just because I bought the steak from the butcher or the organic butcher, which is where I buy Matt's steak from. I can't pretend it didn't happen just because I bought it from the butcher and I can't disassociate from it. Um, yeah, I think you're touching on something very powerful here. And I think as a woman in her 40s, I think you have every right to to have a choice a decision and stand by that and i think in life we have extremes you know we have extreme paleo type people we have extreme um vaccine people that are pro and pr extreme people that aren't we have people that have no problems about putting on chemicals onto their skin and the right to the other end where people will only put on stuff they've made in their kitchen so i think mm. from a pr perspective of life and i i do look at you and i i do feel very um, compellingly drawn into your beliefs and I completely empathize and I'm so with you and as if I mean you know me and the, our listeners will yeah. know I don't eat a lot of meat uh, I, I certainly haven't eaten red meat since I was 17 and I will eat um, free-range organic chicken or fish every now and again so and I do love dairy and things like that and I think where I'd love to come in from this angle with if people are listening to this that have young daughters or young teenagers and things, and a lot of the things that, I don't know if you noticed this too, Kaz, going through high school, a lot of people went vegetarian or vegan um, more as a, um, I, I hate to say it, but it was more like a fad or to be different oh, or to buck yeah. the system. And this is what I hope people, when they're listening to you speak, is that there has been many decades of experience and biohacking, beliefs, values, research, and a heck of a lot of thought has gone into your decision to be proudly vegan. Mm. And therefore, what I'd love to say to any mums and daughters or mums and sons or fathers and daughters and sons listening to this is that, you know, take note of that, that it is a lot of um, compelling evidence that Karen has gathered for her own self and self-worth. And I think she's mature enough to, to completely make a decision like that. What would you say to the to the girls that are, you know, maybe depleted, maybe they are anemic, maybe they are suffering chronic fatigue or their skin's breaking out or they're not eating great and their idea of vegetarianism is your pastas and your packaged mm. foods and your things like this because this is the other swing, isn't it? Just because you don't eat meat, you actually eat incredibly beautiful, organic, amazing food and put a lot of time and effort into what you prepare what would you be saying to the mums and the daughters and the fathers and the sons of that era that are very influenced by a conversation like this as around doing their own research or supporting a mum and a dad to help their children to eat well? 
Look, there's a couple of um, – if, if, if somebody in the family decides that they want to become vegetarian or vegan, it's not a small decision to make. Just like deciding to eat meat is also not a small decision to make. Whatever we put into our bodies, we need to make sure that it's giving us the right nourishment and the right fuel for the life that we live. And I think that because most people grow up believing that they have to eat or that eating meat is just a normal thing, it's not. It's just that it's been handed down generation after generation after generation after generation. So I think no matter, and this is just my view on it, is that no matter what we put on our body or in our body, no matter what we put in our own minds, no matter what we put into our environments, we should always be making very conscious and informed decisions. And I think that whether we're vegan, vegetarian, paleo, no matter what label we've got for it, I think we need to be making sure that we clearly test and measure. And that's kind of my philosophy, really. And Cindy's always said, you've got to have a philosophy. Mm. And, I, and I've often really you know, thought about that. And for me, it's all about test and measure. Test it out. If it works, then great. But make sure that you're measuring it to make sure that it works. You're not just going blindly on somebody else's opinion about what you should and shouldn't be doing. And it's across the board in every area of our lives, not just our food. So I think if there's somebody in the family specifically, you know, based on this conversation, if there's somebody in the family who's flirting with veganism or vegetarianism, there is so much information on the internet right now that you can Google and find out. There's a really great um, uh, website called the Vegan Society. So it's vegansociety.com. Now, in there, there is a whole raft of information about what veganism is, how to go vegan properly, um, what it actually means, and why you would want to do it. Because one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen with young girls is that they go vegan or vegetarian because they think it's going to help them be skinny. Mm. And you know what? It actually doesn't. In fact, yeah, it doesn't. Because what's happening when you go vegan or vegetarian, you're potentially increasing your sugar intake with fruits. So if you increase your sugar intake and you don't balance that with appropriate complete proteins, all you're going to do is get a really fat butt. And that's the last thing. (laughs) That's so true. Yeah, so it's the last thing that you want to do if you're thinking of becoming vegetarian or vegan just for the purposes of losing weight. If you're going to be vegetarian or vegan, make sure that you're doing it for your health and well-being and make sure that you're also doing it because of your own personal, ethical, environmental choices and make sure it's something you can live with. But, you know, the other thing too that I find, I remember Jess Ainsco, she was plant-based for so long and she decided that she wanted to start having eggs And I'll never forget her coming over to my house telling me how people were ridiculing her and putting her under such stress because all of a sudden she decided that she felt she needed something else for herself and she was following her body. I remember. Yeah. And I just think that if a person makes a decision to be vegan today, you can change your mind tomorrow and it's absolutely okay. It's your body as long as it's always an educated. And when I say educated, I mean research the shizbang out of it yeah. and make sure it's an educated decision. There's, a, there's an amazing woman who is about to hit the airwaves and her name is Linda Alston. And she lives here in Brisbane and she's, just, um, she's creating a business called The Accidental Vegetarian. Now, she's been vegetarian since she was three years old, simply because she refused to eat meat. She just couldn't bear it. Now, that woman is creating a program that's all about helping parents to help their children transition. Nice. If that's what they decide to do. But in a healthy, organic, uh, nutritious and potent way so that everybody in the family is informed and educated and yeah she's just she's creating the most exceptional program and she's just a wealth of knowledge which is just amazing and she's about to finish Cindy's nutrition program as well so she's just all about educating herself so keep an eye out for her we'll put her name in the um in the show notes and also a link to her Facebook page that you can hook up with her 
Um, I think she's maybe about three or four months away from going live with the program. But there's a lot of information out there that people can uh, lean on to make that transition. And, you know, one of the things Linda says is why not make meat a condiment rather mm. than vegetables a condiment? Why, don't, why not try that rather than going full on? Just try a reduction and see how your body responds. Test and measure, test and measure, test and measure. You make a really good point too that when you take something out of the diet, after a certain amount of time, it you, you don't even miss it. And if anything, for a lot of people, if they go back to it, for example, sugar, if you eliminate sugar from the diet, all of a sudden when you if you eat it eight weeks later or you have something with a sugar product, it is almost Ugh. offensive um, yeah. in how sweet it is, hey. <laughs> So um, I'm looking at this from a perspective of um, maybe, you know, the, you know the, the, the HCG or the four-phase fat elimination protocol, which I know there is a vegan and a veganism, uh, sorry, vegetarian way of doing it. But what I love about the, the philosophy or the principle in behind it is eliminating a lot of everything and then gradually into the different stages and phases of the program, you slowly introduce a different food, but it's one food every couple of days to see how your body responds to that. And I think with so many um, allergies and so many people's different dietary needs and so many issues around digestion and autoimmune and parasites and all the different things that are occurring out there, in a way, I feel like the movement for veganism and vegetarianism is simply a detoxification process of um, eliminating all the, the, the stuff out there, bringing it back to a very simple, clean, tasty diet. Because every time I've eaten with you, I can honestly say I have been blown away by what we eat. And so to me, it, wouldn't, it doesn't feel like it would be a problem for me to eat so long as the way you eat and not the way perhaps um, someone that's doing it to lose weight would eat. I really love that point that you make. Could you then explain to us what vegans actually eat? Can you tell me what's in the diet? What would you be eating? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, so vegans really eat everything that's plant-based and nothing that's animal-based. The only thing that is under question is honey mm -hmm. um, because nobody is really injured when it comes to honey. However... Um, that's the general consensus. However, that's actually not quite true. Um, it depends on, you know, your motivations for eating vegan. But my motivations are for animal conservation and also, obviously, my own personal health and well-being. So if you're buying traditional honey, the bees are being smoked, which means that um, they pull the, the racks of bees out of the hives in order to extract the honey from the comb. And in order to get that uh, the honey from the comb, they need to smoke the bee. So they puff this toxic smoke into the bee to make him docile so that then the bee doesn't run, doesn't fly away and also doesn't sting the handlers. So they puff the bees full of this smoke, um, which does actually land up killing a large number of the bees. Um, and that happens every time that they want to harvest the honey. Now, there are some ethical harvest or um, honey growers that you can find. There's one here on the Sunshine Coast called Hum Honey, and they make a stunning uh, honey where they don't smoke the bees. There's also a couple of uh, really cool new strategies for extracting the honey from the comb without disrupting the colony. But those... those um, those processes involve like a plastic honeycomb already and the bees don't love making honey on plastic. So we're still a little bit of a way away from being able to do the honey properly, I think. Are those but, those hives, Kaz, that you, you turn the tap and then the yes. honey can come out of that? Okay, because I know Pete yeah. Evans has talked a lot about that. Can I just ask one quick question? If they're smoking yeah. the bees, mm. is that smoke also impregnating the honey or is that yeah. having... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then they heat treat the honey, which kills all the natural enzyme in the honey. And the honey is actually one of the greatest antibacterial and antiviral weight loss, uh, uh, mental clarity, bone strength, uh, nutritious substances we can, we can consume. Mm -hmm. So once they do that, you know, when you buy conventional honey from your shopping market, you might as well just have pure sugar on your toast because yep. it really isn't doing anything for you at all. 
they're just the, having this the beautiful manuka honey that comes from oh. the manuka flower in New Zealand yeah. is one yeah. of the most highest antimicrobial honeys and it's also very highly medicinal so it's brilliant mm. to use with coughs, colds, flus it's an amazing product to put onto wounds and skin conditions like the best mask you could ever do would be oh. um, for, for an oil oily skin is manuka honey and coconut oil believe it or not and you could actually put that mask on for 10 minutes and then remove it with a warm face cloth or I would say lick it off but you could absolutely use food as a part of your um, skincare as well and I agree with you wholeheartedly honey is one of those it's a superfood. It is actually an incredible food that is... I, I love what you're saying, though, about the respect for the bees. Um, tell me then, so you guys eat you eat grains and legumes yep. and obviously all vegetables. Do yep. you make your own breads and things like that? So I imagine it would be a more higher-carb diet. Am I, am I right in saying that? Well, I think that's where a person has to be a little bit circumspect about the diet because... You know, vegetables are considered a carbohydrate, although it's a vegetable carbohydrate. But we can tend, if it's not balanced properly with complete proteins, then it can become a very high-carb diet. So um, personally, I'm very careful with my grains. I'll tend to have um, gluten-free oats if I'm going to have a grain. But mainly my diet consists of quinoas, buckwheats, chia seeds, um, amaranth, millet, um, the more high basil protein. seeds, new basil seeds basil now. Seeds. Oh, <laughs> totally basil seeds. Oh my goodness, they were stunning. I know, I know, I know. Okay, and and milks. What sort of milks do you like to eat then? Definitely nut milks. I'm not a soy fan at all, purely because within two or three hours, I find I have really bad cramping underneath my rib cage. Um, so. I don't do soy milk, but I have my nut milks. So I'll make those myself. Almond milk, cashew milk, macadamia milk, um, sunflower milk is stunning. Yeah. Oh, it's divine. Absolutely divine. But, you know, like it's not, it's not like I'm having cereals to put my milks on. So I'll make – if in the wintertime I'll have my porridge that I'll cook in coconut milk or I'll cook it in almond milk and then I'll pour my beautiful hum honey over the top and that 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 hive that you were talking about with a tap on it just quickly just come to me the name of it is called flow hive yes and i spoke to the owners of hum honey about that and they were telling me about how bees don't like making their nests or their, their cone on plastic so um they don't do as well they don't get as much which is interesting mm. so anyway just i'll throw that in but yes i'll have sorry no no keep going no what were you going to say well i just wondered um from a from a perspective of of a veganism lifestyle so now we're talking veganism as a philosophy which i am correct me if i'm wrong it is the absolute protection against any cruelty to any animal in any way or insect or living creature um does how does it extend into your personal care your home your beliefs around shoes and handbags tell me where you go with that um yes so I personally choose not to buy anything that's leather because what I'd found is that it would have been really great if we had used the same uh, skin that comes from the cows that we slaughter for meat. It would be great if we'd used the same skin for our shoes. Um, from and the we same don't? Cow. We don't. So there's, special, there's cows bred specially for the quality of their skin. Um, and so I don't buy anything that's leather. So everything that I have that is leather is usually is actually left over from my previous life. Um, but I don't have anything leather. Everything is, you know, my shoes are either synthetic or they're natural cottons and wools. Um, mostly they're runners and Birkenstocks actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the Birkenstocks are the synthetic ones. They're not the leather ones. Yeah. Um, and I, it's just my personal choice. I don't buy leather handbags. I don't buy leather jackets. I don't buy anything where an animal has been exploited or abused because, to me, the best way for me to make an impact on those um, people who choose to make that their form of income is to withdraw my revenue from their income, my contribution to their income, and hopefully it'll force them to make new decisions. And I know I'm probably going to get blasted for that, but... I really just feel that's the only way that I can make a difference 
is is for my own self and my personal choices. Karen, do you think there are people out there who are ethical in the treatment of their animals? And I mean, I only have to think about it from an anthropological point of view with our teeth, our molars, our canines. If you look at our teeth, we've been designed to eat meat and we are designed to eat fibrous vegetables and we're designed to eat a fairly wide variety of product that, uh, foods where our bodies show that and the fact that we can assimilate meat and we can assimilate vegetables, etc. But do you think that there are people out there that farm their animals with the intent that their animals have a great life, they are free range, they are organic, they're not um, treated badly and like anything in life, an animal will die, an animal does come to the end of its life. So is it from the other point of view, for people that are into it from that angle, is it not a good thing that we then use the animal in all its facets? Animals do die. Insects do die. Is it important to you then, that side of it, that if we do or people do choose to eat or use animal products, that at least it's done in a very um, a beautiful way? Look, I think everybody's got their own view and, you know, as far as us being designed to eat meat and the anthropology of it, I think that there's enough, there's a lot of research out there that will support both views. So I think, um, you know, if you look at the, the shape of, an, of, a, of a meat eater's face in the animal kingdom, you look at the shape of the dog's snout, it's extended, whereas ours is flat. And you look at the, the canines on an animal, on a, on, a, on a dog versus ours they're different so that you know there's lots of there's lots of information out there that will support both views and I really don't feel that um you know I'm educated enough to make the decision as to whether we are meant to eat meat or we're not I think that there's like I said there's a lot to support both views as far as the the um the taking of animal life Sure, animals do die of natural causes just like humans do. And I think that if humans were able to um, do things humanely, then potentially this would, this, 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 we wouldn't even be having this conversation maybe. I don't know. Mm. But for the most part, humans are not humane, not at all, not even remotely. You know, uh, the pulling of pigs' teeth and the docking of their tail without anesthetic the, ca the castration of the pigs and the sheep and the cows without anesthetic is abhorrent if, if anybody actually sees what happens to a mother cow when her babies are taken away from her in a dairy it's enough to bring you to your knees and we've only got to see those things to know that they are not right so my, you know, like if I had a big loudspeaker and, you know, my voice mattered, I would say, you know, people do it differently. If you have to eat meat for whatever reason, do it differently. Be humane. Be kind. And then that might, you know, become a way that we treat ourselves and we treat each other. But like I say, while ever we're beheading each other, while ever we're blowing each other up, while ever we're... Uh, you know, severing relationships, abusing children, killing each other, raping each other, taking advantage of each other, dominating one another. Um, there's male versus female. Well, ever all of that kind of opposite dynamic is taking place. Mm. I don't see that our animals stand a chance because, you know, the humans have chosen to to treat them with very little respect for the most part. I'm not saying everywhere, but for the most part, there are people, you know, that for the masses, the, those that feed the masses. I have um, travelled extensively through different countries and, um, you know, we've even been together to places like Peru where they eat things like guinea pigs and in India the cow is actually sacred and it's, it's an interesting um, way to look at eating and, and just through my research or understanding, and that's very limited, I will add, um, you know, meat has been a big part of our development, it seems, um, and seafood and things like that. Do you yeah. think that was just a case of survival because we didn't know how to grow plants? Or do you think naturally um, animals were put on this planet? And I don't mean this to sound offensive, forgive me, but animals were put on this planet in order for us to survive. It's part of the, I mean, 
you know, and an antelope eats grass and it's a herbivore, but then the big cats come in and they're not exactly humane. They're not exactly nice in the way that they, they kill each other, but they have to to survive because a meat, as we know, is a very high dense, high, highly nutrient food that you can last for ages on as opposed to, say, your carbohydrates. Although you can feel satiable, I understand, with vegetables and things like that, particularly with the right combining and fats. But what, what's your thoughts then around our evolution of that. I know you say there's a lot of proof to show that we didn't, but why is it then meat is such a big part of our world? Or do you think there's another reason behind that? You know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think that, um, you know, I think a lot of it, now that we're in our generation, I think a lot of it has just been handed down from one generation to another generation. And I think that there's a lot of marketing and a lot of advertising and so on that goes on with, with all of that. But what I can say is that if we were meant to eat meat and if that's, you know, absolutely a fact, um, no one's ever going to know really. But I think when we look at our overconsumption of, uh, of, of meat and meat byproducts and dairy and dairy products, when we look at our overconsumption of it, that speaks volumes to the abuse of our animals as to why we have to produce so much um, animal stock and keep them on feedlots and so on because of our overconsumption. When in actual fact, the amount of protein that a person actually requires, be it animal or vegetable, is minimal per day. So because we've become so um, obsessed with more, and having more and accumulation and, and, and the more you have, the, the, the more status you have and all that sort of, you know, background unconscious society, societal stuff. We've, we've become so disassociated from the actual uh, process of producing food in a humane way. We've become disassociated from that because now it's about how many sheep can we have on our lot how many sheep do we need to slaughter in order to, to, to make a profit because now we've got 20,000 heads of sheep and we've got to import, you know, X amount of corn for them to eat or, or whatever it is. So now it's become a much more money-driven process, which I'm not, I'm not against people making money, not in the least. And I think that because we've become s such a, a consumerist society, at least – at least in the affluent societies, mm. we've, become so, we've become so consumerist that it's forcing our farmers almost to be abusive because they're out of time, they're out of money, and they don't have the ability to be humane. But do you know that 80% of the planet is still living on less than $5 a day? Mm. Only 20% of the planet can actually afford to eat meat. Yet 20% of the planet is, is creating almost 80% of the environmental trauma that we're experiencing. And it's because of our, our livestock, largely because of the livestock and the, and the amount of space that it takes to actually grow the feed for the livestock and the methane gas and all of that. So. Yeah. See, I look at someone like Pete Evans. I look at Joe from Kooky Cooking. I look at Cindy. I look at Nora Gagardis. I look at all these people that are very um, – pro eating meat and mm. they have they're beautiful people they care deeply about animals and the welfare and, and and the way that we do it and then you have someone like me who is so divorced from what it would take to, to kill an animal to then skin it to then whatever they do to cut it all up and have it look like it does in a supermarket or a butcher or whatever I, I feel like um then when I talk to people that own farms or are cattle owners or are sheep farmers or people like that, who are a lot of them are very beautiful, amazing people who are, like you say, creating a living. Mm. It's I, I kind of, I totally hear what you're saying, but I still believe in humanity in such a way that there are good people out there talking. I mean, Pete and Cindy, everybody, they always talk that you don't need a lot. I loved what you said that Linda says, that it's a condiment or a, a, an added part to the meal do you you hit on something very very um, poignant I think which is around our consumerism and this greed and this this disgusting need or desire to have more or greater or overeating like I completely hear you 
what is the answer, Kaz? How do we have a balance? Because there's people out there that will never give up meat. Is there a better way for us to do it? Is there a better way that we can support our farmers so they're not having to hurt their animals and that we go into the cycle of life with a much more organic, holistic viewpoint? Do you think there's hope? Oh, Kimmy, look, I, I wish I had the answers for everybody. I really do. And I think that there are definitely people, and I don't know them, but I'm convinced that there are definitely people out there who are humane. I'm convinced of it. And I think that, um, you know, because not everybody's, not everybody has the same mentality. And you look at the difference between somebody who grows fruit and vegetables for Woolies and Coles versus somebody who's an organic grower growing them, you know, in small batches. And, and they have a lot more affinity and a lot more relationship with the planet and the earth and the concern for the, you know, the state of the of the nation. I think some people are detached to it. Some people are not detached from it. Um, and I just, I, I, I honestly feel that if there was more education about, um, yeah, I really do think this. I think if there was more education for those farmers that want to do it differently but feel hamstrung, because I do know that that exists out there. I had a conversation with somebody just last week about that. They feel like they have to make the money, they need to make the money, but they really want to be able to do it more humanely, but yet they can't because they need to make the money and they're trapped in a vicious cycle. Um, and there's I so much suicide in that world too, isn't oh, there? And that's why the conversation that I had last week came up because there was somebody that uh, reached out to me about her husband um, being suicidal because they were in a drought-affected area and, you know, all of their, their, their livestock has had to be put down and, you know, just, just devastating, just absolutely devastating. So I just I think that if we were able to be more educated, everybody, I mean, our consumers and our farmers, and if everybody could be more educated and if everybody could somehow work together, if we could somehow create harmony, then potentially there wouldn't be this great diversity between I'm vegan, do it my way, or I'm paleo and you're a loser if you don't be paleo, or I'm, you know, there wouldn't be all this constant uh, uh, aggression almost mm -hmm. uh, against people's views. And potentially there wouldn't be such a great divide. You know, people in the world of vegan obviously you know take the taste side of out, out of it but sometimes people are vegan and ferociously vegan because of animal welfare if animal welfare wasn't a question then there probably wouldn't be an argument for it you know yeah and if 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 health and well-being <coughs> wasn't under threat globally then we probably wouldn't even be again having this conversation so i think you know, seriously, I, for, for me personally, I have I have my views on what I would altruistically like to see for the planet because my intention is not to see anybody suffer, not human or animal. I don't want any farmers suffering. I don't want any children seeing families go through depression and suicide. I don't I don't want that for anybody on the planet. I want harmony. And while from biblical times, you know, the Bible even says that there's a, there, there reached a time when, I think it's in the New Testament, where animals were now okay to eat, but you just weren't allowed to eat animals with eyes on the side of their head or cloven feet. I, th I think that's what it said. <laughs> Don't quote me. I could be completely wrong. So, you know, it, it may very well be that animals are fine for us to eat, but it... it it's also about having respect for for life, and and the universal force that beats up beats you know beats through the veins of of every creature. You know, because I, I think, think we're all connected to that. I agree, and I think I almost can feel the same passion around your love of this philosophy for living as I do even around something as simple as essential oils, um, the way you know they're growing, the way they're harvested. Yes, we've had a huge influx in people's want, desire and need for them, but the way they, they squish them out of the 
you know, they shake them out of the bottles. They don't think about what's gone into what it's taken to grow that plant, the beautiful fertilization and the organic um, philosophies into growing it and then the distillation process and then the extraction and then the bottling and the, you know, from seed to the bottle. It's just, if you really, I, I come back to the same thing with yourself around the philosophy of it. I think, you know, we hurt vegetables and plants and and our beautiful lands and the way we're raping and pillaging the soils. So I think, if nothing else, what I can take from you is it's a philosophy for living. It's about being mindful of every single part of the process. And, you know, I really I really take my hat off to you because it's people like you who give um, animals a voice. It's people like you who make people aware. And, yes, I understand, and I know you get slaughtered yourself. Excuse the pun sometimes. Um, <laughs> but I really... I really believe it's it's the Pete Evans and the paleo world making a stand, that, you know, disrespect to vegans, but what he's standing for, which is hoping to help 10% of Australians eat better meals by making them from scratch, or the Cindy's of the world who want us to be qualitarians and eating good food with good ethics and morals and actually having a varied diet, or the Joe Whittens who have had issues and health problems in the family and have found a way back to health by women being back in the kitchen, and I say that very I don't mean that in a derogatory way I don't know I agree with you I think I think what you are to me Kaz is someone who um, you stand very strong in your beliefs and I think anyone listening to this podcast you can take from that whether you're a vegan vegetarian or any other you know way of eating your value your passion your philosophy in this is is so potent and so strong and so beautiful that I you know I you are someone who drives me to feel totally okay I don't have to have dairy or, or any sort of animal products. And I'm really, I love our meals that we share together, mm-hmm. you and us. And Cindy's always alluded to that when we come together. None of us staff put it that way. Oh, <laughs> I, wow. just, I, I want to finish by asking you, if you could have one wish um, if, for any farmers listening to this or any people that do eat animals or people that do choose to use leather or anything like that, you know, perhaps, and I don't mean this to discredit yourself, but it's highly unlikely in your lifetime that that's ever going to be eradicated. Yeah. What would be your wish in behind that standing as a very proud vegan? Oh, look, I, my, my wish, you know, is, is, is not just, well, it, you know, I'm not concerned about what a person eats. I'm really not. I think a person's got to do what feels right for them, test and measure. And if it's right, then go for it. You know, I'm, I, I applaud everybody who, who does make informed decisions and educated decisions wholeheartedly. I think if we can have in the forefront of our mind harmony when we wake up in the morning, and I know that that sounds really corny and it's almost like a bit of a cliche, but it's not just, you know, the way that, I choose to live in my life is not just about food and it's not just about animals. It's about harmony of the piece of life that I occupy and how that piece of life treads daily and moment by moment on the planet. And everything that I do, I try my hardest because it's at the forefront of my mind is to be in harmony with the universal force that beats through every living thing. And I think that if we're able to um, be in a state of harmony with every choice that we make, then we can't get it wrong. Like you can't make a mistake. It's just always going to be the the best that we personally can do on a day-by-day basis. So whether it's with your food or whether it's your relationship with your children, whether it's your relationship with your mother and father, whether it's with your partner, whether it's the way you drive your car, whether it's how you mow your lawn, whatever, whatever. It's, 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 it's the relationship that we have with every living thing on the face of the planet. If we can attempt to create harmony in our own personal way, then bloody bully for you, I say. Bully for you. <laughs> so, you're so beautiful. So lovely. And it's probably quite lovely. I know Cindy would have been so respectful of you through this conversation. And I think it's really important people understand it from someone. I've got one quick final question for you, my darling. As a vegan, you're a dog owner. Yeah. What do you feed your dogs? 
Oh, <laughs> I get asked this all the time. So <laughs> I, I feed my fluffies meat um, because of the research that I've done. And I do have a friend of mine that has um, dogs and, and she feeds them nothing but vegan food. So I came home and I did a whole world of research on their jaw structure and the pounds per pressure in which they chew and the way that they chew and, chew and grind their food. And I also did a whole world of research on the, their digestive system and how it's set up because I thought, well, I'm not going to make a decision. I'm going to let the research tell me what it actually says. And then I went and saw three different vets um, and I spoke to a holistic vet, which was my fourth vet. And the general consensus and also the research that I've done and on the shape of their mouth uh, and jawbone is meat because of their teeth and the way that they cons- the way that they digest their food. So it's meat. And so my kids, they get um, uh, predominantly vegetable because I look and, – and Cindy actually had this conversation with me, which I've always weighed in, is that when a dog eats a rabbit uh, or, or catches a rabbit, the first thing they eat is the tummy because the rabbit eats the greens. And so the first thing they eat is the tummy and then they eat um, the, the organs because they're the most nutritious and then they um, will eat the fat because it's going to stay with them for longer and then they eat the uh, and then they eat the flesh if they still feel that's necessary but for the most part they'll leave that for the birds. So wow. <laughs> and what about a little pug? A little pug doesn't have a big schnapp. Oh, that's very true. A little pug just has a very squishy face. <laughs> oh, and they're very delicious. I really like them. Um, <laughs> well, you know, they're very cute, but still their digestive system is set up as a dog, as a canine, but they've been bred to have a flat face. So it's actually a human interference that's given them a flat face. And while they're cute and adorable, they're still, they still um, from the research that I've done, a, a, meat, a meat diet is best for them. You're amazing. Thank you. And, and, and just one final thing. I just, I'm interested in this now and the concept of it as us as humans, would we have had more, I guess we had more of a Neanderthal kind of face, which was a more protruding jaw and, and perhaps over time because we've learned how to cook and process meats and things like that, mm-hmm. maybe that's what's changed mm-hmm. our ability to to have a more flatter face. Um, but I just and, wanted to... And digest it, yes. and to digest it better because yes. when it's cooked, it's kind of pre-digesting the process as well, you know, and this whole beautiful fermenting yes. is pre-digesting. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm convinced that that's got a huge effect mm. on our ability to manage. And tell um, me one last thing. Do you say little prayers to your vegetables and plants and things that you eat before you eat them? Is it the same sort of feeling about it being a living creature or living thing, should I say? Well... Kimmy, now if I answer that, everybody's going to think I'm a fruit loop. <laughs> we can accept that you are anyway, sweet peas. So just own it. <laughs> yes, I do. Mm. I, I absolutely do. I name all of my pot plants. So I've got a plant at the back called Douglas, <laughs> and I hold his hand. <laughs> his hand every time I walk outside because his hands are always sticking out ready for me to hold and I tell him how smart he is because he's just throwing the most beautiful flower and then I've got my peace lilies and I've got a couple of other flat plants in here in the house I hold their hands all the time because their little hands are always sticking out to, to talk to me and you said I'm that walking, a lot when we were walking in New Zealand actually you yeah. talked about the beautiful bush and the trees and the plants and everything you hugged that beautiful big rimu and you I love how mindful you are of the plant kingdom. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And now I want to meet Douglas. Oh, Douglas, he's such a handsome little fellow. (laughs) But, you know, I'll be honest, I do. I definitely do, Kimmy. I'm very – I I put a lot of love into all of my fruits and vegetables that I eat in my garden. And if I see Matt – if like if Matt ever wants to cut down trees like where we moved to, he – bulldozed the whole side of our house which was just full of really big beautiful trees and he did it while I wasn't here because he knew of the conniption that I would have had over losing those trees I was heartbroken so you know but I mean I'm also you know very pragmatic about it so some things need to happen some things don't but yeah but I do very I'm very grateful what a what a what an interesting podcast it has been for me. I've just got to talk about myself the whole time. I loved it, absolutely loved it, and I know that we've had a lot of requests talking, asking us to explain 
your views around veganism. So I really, really am grateful. And I've really enjoyed asking you the questions, beautiful soul. Oh, so. You're the best interviewer, Kimmy. You're oh, just the best. You oh, never run out of a question. Nope. Amazing. I've got two more sitting here re- ready to ask you, but I think we've run out of time. Seriously? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, okay, so well, before I close the podcast, I just actually want to say to everybody that these are just – this is just my way and it's just based on the research that I've done and the information that I've experienced in my lifetime. And I truly believe that we all are experiencing whatever we're experiencing and learning what we're learning and doing what we're doing for a grander purpose. So please don't take anything that I've said here today as gospel or that I'm suggesting that anybody needs to do things my way because that's one thing I will never say. I always say don't believe a word I say. Do the research for yourself and make your own informed decision. And if anybody's questioning or flirting with being vegan, of course, I'll answer any questions that you have. But the only thing we can know is we can only know how it feels for ourselves. So everything else is just a belief. So don't buy into my belief. Just make sure that you discover and learn and know what's right for your body and your experience of harmony on this planet, and that will be whatever it is for you, and it's always going to be perfect. It will always be right. If you're in harmony, it will always be the right thing no matter what anybody else says or thinks, including me. (laughs) You're beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for all of our listeners for participating in this. I'm just sitting here in my lounge room relaxing with my dogs and a cup of tea thinking you're all here with me. (laughs) I love it. I can see it now. Oh, yeah. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you, Kimmy, you beautiful soul. So for everybody who's listened to today's podcast, if you have any questions for me about any of this or any comments, please go right ahead. Post it on our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. Or you can also post your questions and your comments at allthews.thewellnessguys.com forward slash up for a chat. No, it's not, is it? It's the wellness couch. <laughs> yes, it does. Oh. Dear, dear, dear. Okay, it's thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. I'll get it right one day, boys, I promise. (laughs) So good. You'd think after four or five years we'd be nearly there. Really, it's just getting worse, I think. Yeah, no, you're a darling. (laughs) So join us here next week on Up for a Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And I'll see you, we'll see you on the ride next week when Cindy's back on deck. Bye, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.